welcome again to a novel evening. I'm Danny. You can find me over on Instagram as Blotted Ink Books. And for this episode, I'm joined by Susan Stokes Chapman, who is the author of a book I absolutely loved, which was Pandora. It was an absolute smash, and for very good reason. It is, oh, it's sublime. It is the perfect mix of gothic it's got an element of greek in there it's just it's such a good read like i can't even articulate how much i enjoyed this book um and she is working currently on book two which is super super exciting and i cannot wait to chat with her i cannot wait to talk to her all about pandora and to dive into her novel evening so a massive hello to susan hello hello how are you doing I'm very well, Danny. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's a very, it's a very Monday Monday. Mm. It's a very horrible, wet and dreary Monday over here. I'm in deepest, darkest Wales and uh, everybody knows it rains in Wales, but for the past two weeks, it's been particularly bad. Devon is the same. It is hideous. I feel like we were really lucky, actually. I feel like our summer kind of just kept dragging out a little bit and then autumn just suddenly came. Well, that, it's like a flick of a switch, isn't it? As soon as November first hits, boom, that's it, done. Winter. We've oh. we've, we've not even we skipped autumn. Autumn's not. I've literally put the heating on. I have held <laughs> off for so long. I was like, I think I'm going to have to do it. Yeah, you had to cave. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to eat, but at least I'll be warm. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to choose other. now. <laughs> food or warmth one or the other but thank you so much for taking time to come and chat with me I am so excited because firstly I bloody loved Pandora oh thank you like I I don't even know <laughs> what I went into expecting firstly it looked glorious I mean what a cover oh it's very pretty Michaela Arkino who designed it oh she always does bangers of covers for She's a genius, oh. isn't she? so I mean firstly and then I kind of went into it and I think it was such a different read to what I was expecting. It, mm. it kind of just gripped me in a way I think I wasn't fully anticipating. Oh, well, I, I, want, I want readers to be gripped, definitely. But the, the thing with Pandora is that obviously it's been marketed as a Greek retelling. But the one thing I've always said is it's not a Greek retelling. It's a, a reinterpretation. That's how I like to say it, because my heartland is always going to be the Georgian period. And I think no matter what I write, it's always going to be, I mean, it's a very long period anyway. It's, um, you know, early 1700s all the way up until the 1830s. So that's a very long period to play about with. And so I feel quite confident in saying that that's probably the period I'm always going to write in. I've got plenty of source material to work with. But yeah, the um, it was always going to be set in Georgian London. There was never any kind of question in my mind about that. So but it it did work the um the element of greek myth and greek antiquity it was very popular in 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 the georgian era partly because i suppose there was the element of the grand tour where a lot of the aristocrats would go over um to to italy and and, and beyond and so the element of reclaiming the ancient world that that was a big part of it and so many of the pieces are in the you know the British Museum now I touched on that in Pandora uh in terms of William Hamilton's character but the point is 
they they kind of blended perfectly together so I didn't set out to write a Greek myth retelling it's just I saw an opportunity that I I, I recognized worked and I thought they just meshed really nicely together so me, it felt inspired by you know it didn't feel like yes. it felt like it was very very inspired by mm. the story we all know of Pandora but what I also loved is it's creepy oh thank you good <laughs> it's creepy and you've got characters in there that are very morally gray mm. uh, fairly repugnant um <laughs> which I love. I love a good, like, meaty baddie, but there's still an element of feeling a bit sorry for the bad guy in this. There's a little yeah. bit... You're conflicted. You, you are, and obviously I don't want to give too much away for anybody who hasn't read it, but there's... I think it's human nature. You can never be wholly good or wholly bad, um, and for those that are bad, there's always some sort of catalyst. There's always some sort of thing that's made them this way. And so for anybody who hasn't read the book yet, I would ask to just consider Hezekiah's history. And there's all there's a reason for everything. It's so interesting. I, I love that when you get a character like that and you think you've totally made your mind up about them. And then you read a bit more and you're like, oh, how I do I feel? <laughs> yeah, how do I feel about this person? And, and you know, as well, it's it's very gothic. You've really got that kind of that gothic symbolism throughout the book I was aiming for that because I, I do love gothic I love gothic novels I love gothic uh, movies it's just that kind of dark element of 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 literature that I've always loved and it's probably always going to be infused in in some sort of way my my choices uh tonight they're not fully gothic but there's a definite lean in somewhere so yeah. You can totally tell. You can absolutely tell in Pandora that that again is is inspiration there. Mm. You can absolutely vibe on that. And you, when you were kind of researching it, you know your characters in it as well. Did you kind of always know you were going to have the you know, your strong female character within the center of it? Yes, and I, th I think that was always a given. I mean, this is a really kind of hard thing to kind of. To, I'm trying to think of ways to not say. That I pigeonholed myself into certain kind of tropes, um, but it is true that fiction with a strong female central character do does always work. And I hadn't set out to—I hadn't thought in my head, "I am going to write a novel, and the main character has to be a strong, independent female." But with the myth of Pandora, this is actually exactly what needed to be done. Um, I had the idea for this novel about two weeks after um, my agent, Juliet, rejected me for another novel. And I was feeling very, very upset. Um, but I was, I was on the way home from a work event. And so I was driving uh, and going down a bunch of country roads. And uh, there's something quite gothic about that, actually, because I do remember I was kind of driving through a very eerie looking wood because my sat-nav decided to take me the magical mystery route home rather than the, uh, you know, the normal safe way. Um, and it was around this time of year as well. So of course, by four o'clock, it was dark. Uh, and I was just kind of stuck in the car, going down country roads with my thoughts, very macabre thoughts. And Dora popped into my head pretty much instantly. And then Hermes the Magpie popped in alongside her and they just came as a pair. Um, and the Pandora's box myth was kind of just a bit of an underlying thing that weaved in. But obviously, 
this is a inspired by reinterpretation of the Greek myth Pandora's box. And so if I'm going to use Pandora, I want to know her side of it. I want to characterize her as a strong female who is trying to make her way in the world and try to at least find a way to subvert that original idea of her as being the bad guy. I wanted there to be a reason. Uh, I wanted an opportunity to give her that agency and give her that strength. And so Dora Blake was the perfect foil to do that. Um, plus as well, you know, this is George in London. Yeah. We have to consider that women didn't have a lot of agency in that period. So in order to create a protagonist that we as modern readers going to connect with there had to be some sort of strength yeah she's very rebellious I think that's Mm. the vibe I get she's a rebel in her own ways which I absolutely love and just to touch back on something you mentioned you know you just mentioned that you were rejected for an original story (laughs) and this story came to you which you know I'm a budding writer I say and you know and rejection is something that I think you kind of think you're going to expect you're like I'm going to be rejected for my book that's what you know if you're a writer you get rejected but like you said you know to have that happen and then to come up with this other story was it quite hard to let the other story go that you'd written yes and no um yes because it's a it's (laughs) it's a story that I I basically invested 10 years of my life in um and so I started I I didn't write it for the whole entire 10 years it was uh, a story that I I found out it was based on a true story by the way and it was um the premise of it I found out about during my MA uh, at university um and I just really latched on to this particular character and I wanted to flesh her out and give her a voice and give her agency and of course this was also Regency London so um there were elements of it that already felt familiar in terms of me wanting to give an unknown, unknown woman a voice. Um, and I thought about it for ages because obviously real life got in the way. I had to go get a job. Uh, but I didn't start writing that particular novel until, well, seriously, until about 2014. And um, from 2015, I was querying it. Um, and it went through about seven drafts and by 2017 uh yeah that was at the point where I was just like I'm flogging a dead horse here this isn't this isn't working um and I'd had 42 rejections I, th- I think it was so I was already coming to terms with the fact yeah. that I knew I was probably going to have to let this go so um yeah the answer is still yes and no it's a I've kept it on my website actually. If anybody's interested, um, my website's www.susanstokeshartman.com. Sorry, that's a mouthful. Um, but the page on there is in Felice. And it's a whole backstory around that. I don't have time to go into it now. Um, but if anybody's interested in reading the background of that, of that story, it is still there. And the reason why it is still there is because I do one day want to return to it. I am very stubborn and I would love to be able to publish that in some form or another. Um, there are some stories that do just stay with you as a writer. And there, there are many writers who have written so many books and they're in the, you know, the bottom drawer tucked away. Um, and I do actually have another one that I've started and that's the case. I, I'm not really worried about that. that. That's away, that 
I'm yeah. never going to touch that again I don't think but this one there's always one that will just cap, capture your heart and you won't you just won't let go so interesting and I think it's so important for anyone who you know is aspiring to write to hear stories like that mm. because I think it's so easy to get bogged down with the idea that someone's an and I said it's instant success that yeah. someone's written this this first novel and it's done incredibly and I think you lose sight of all the work and the rejection and the stories you've fallen in love with yeah that maybe others haven't fallen in love with in quite the same way yet yes yeah it's so interesting yeah we, we you always have to look at the other side I mean it's very easy to think oh yes this novel has uh, immediately got number one bestseller and that's it. She wrote it, it's her debut. That must mean it's her foot. No, it's not. There's so much, so much behind it. And I've tried to be as transparent about that as I possibly can as well. I've got a blog on the website that's gone through my whole journey there. Um, I've got a, um, a post about the agent submission process and what I went through with this first novel. So it, yeah, there's, there's a lot behind it. And I'm not saying that there aren't, some lucky few that do just write a novel and boom there we go but for the majority of us it is a hard slog and we have worked extremely hard to get here and we've cried buckets but perseverance is key I'll, I'll always say that yeah. just, just and you've been very it. open and honest at the moment you know you've just submitted for your your second novel congratulations firstly because that's <laughs> incredible but you've been very open and transparent again that I have hasn't you know I think again there's this idea of you wrote your first novel now for your second yeah here we go and I think it's amazing again that you've been so open about the fact that actually it's been a struggle for you you've you've really dig deep for this one I really did and it was especially frustrating for me because this idea I actually had before the first novel that was rejected so I've had the idea for this particular novel since 2006 so for Pandora I actually got a two book deal so it's not a case of I wrote Pandora and then I've got to write another one and hope we can submit it, you know, through the same avenues. With a two book deal, you get a deadline. So you are working under pressure of an actual contracted deadline. But then whether or not your first book does brilliantly or not, you still have that pressure, you know, because that, that debut before you even signed, you're writing to your own pressure, your own time, your own schedule. Whereas you're very conscious with a second contracted book that actually there's a slightly different element here. And if your book does reach a good audience, I don't mean a good audience, you know, a wider audience. Yeah. yeah. um, You have that pressure then of thinking, oh, my God, I've got I've got to now repeat the, you know, the same book, but in a different format. I have got to please the readers. I've now also got to please my agent and my editor and the whole of the publishing team. And I have to keep to this deadline and I have to have my own deadlines in place as well. And it's just a massive amount of pressure. Now, because I had this particular idea since 2006, in some form or another, I genuinely didn't think I would be struck with second novel syndrome. But I have been. And I've got to tell you right now, it's taken 21 months to get to this stage. And in the grand scheme of things, 21 months is not a lot of time. But when you have those external pressures, and then the internal ones that you have self-imposed upon yourself it's crippling and, and life, I, because life is still all yeah, going on at the same time absolutely yeah and yeah I've 
I have not been happy this year, I must admit. Um, and I feel very fraudulent saying that because I'm very conscious that there are so many people who would love to be in the position that I have been in, that, um, you know, Pandora has done far better than I expected it to. And I'm so pleased and grateful for that. But yeah, th this year has been hard, has been extremely hard. So um, I submitted book two or an acceptable first draft of what I am calling the second book of doom to my agent and editor at the same time. Wow. Uh, on Sunday morning. And I finished it on the Saturday night. Uh, and it's not, it's still not in quite the shape I'd like it to be, but it needs to be sent. It needs to be done. And at least there is a draft to work with now. There is a, yes. you know, you, you cannot work with a blank page, but you can at least work with rubbish words. So I, I <laughs> not for one second do, can I imagine them being rubbish words. Oh. Um, I but I get you know it's like when a, a musician puts out their first album and everyone's like raving like they're musical geniuses and then they've got their <laughs> sophomore album and it's like oh this has yeah. to be not just as good as but really it needs to be better than because mm. the expectation suddenly is like oh we expect it's, this. Yeah expectation is probably the exact word it's that fear of expectation from everybody and trying to marry that to you know what you are expecting in your head and what yeah it's it's just even my words are kind of going here because I just feel so very overwhelmed and tired I'm very tired I'm very tired but, but I think it's important people see the other side, you know, as I say, I would love to publish a book. I'd love to get a book out there, but perhaps in my head as well, you know, it's always good to see all sides of someone's writing journey. I think mm. it's it's a good thing to not think, you know, oh, you write a book, it's a success. And the second one's like, comes to you like that and you write it in a month and then that goes, you know, it's If only, if only. Yeah. I'd, have, I'd, have, I'd have written 21 books by now, if that were the case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you smashing them out it'd be great yeah. what mm. can you tell us about this book what would you what are you able to tell us about it in all honesty I'm not 100% sure partly because and this is something that people should be aware of as well just because I've submitted this draft yeah. doesn't necessarily mean my editor is going to say yes we definitely are going to have this one there is still a small possibility that she could say yeah, that's not quite what we're after. Can we have something else? But on the provision that we're saying yes to this book, and fingers crossed that she does, I can tell you that it is another gothic novel. It's probably a lot more gothic-y than oh. Pandora. Uh, it is set in rural Wales. So it's basically my heartland again. Uh, and again, yes, it, it, it's Jordan. I've got it it's set in the 1780s. Okay. But... Uh, yeah, I can I can at least tell you that that it is probably darker than than Pandora was, uh, and there are elements of Welsh myth, but also the shadier side of the occult and a hint of Hellfire Club sort of happenings. And oh. I think that's pretty much all I can, well, I can say. If you know, if on the very slim possibility from the sounds of it, they're like. I would like to read it. <laughs> You've already sold it to me from the get-go. I um, have to get another page going up on the website. There you go, here's another failed one. <laughs> You're going to have a whole section of like, <laughs> that didn't quite make the cut. 
but you know what? Yeah. I, I think it's it's so interesting and I love the fact you're honest and are open about it and transparent because I think it's important I think mm. it's it's a conversation you don't often see the other side of and yeah. I, said, I loved Pandora I Thank don't you. for one second imagine that you've written shit words not for <laughs> a second um but you know I I fingers crossed that you yeah. get some good news and now now you've mentioned a little hint of the gothic so yeah. I'm intrigued by your novel mm. and I've got I've got some feelings possibly about the setting I feel like are we going to be going somewhere slightly gothic strangely no Oh, we're uh, not. Although I suppose in the atmosphere, it potentially could be. I've been thinking about this, and I think I would like it to be this time of year, simply because November and the darkness and the rain. You know, there's that kind of gothic element happening there. But what I want to do, I want you, I want to take you to London. I'm shocked. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the 18th century. It could be now because the venue I'm taking to you is 18th century. So what I was basically thinking is that I would like to take you guys to the ye old Cheshire cheese. And that sounds like a very weird name for a pub, but it's one of the few remaining 17th century chop houses, you know, where there was you know, sawdust on the, on the floor and uh, it's all very kind of dark woods and lit by candles. And it's all very kind of, there's a claustrophobic element, I think, to it, but uh, I've been in there a few times now and it's an extremely atmospheric place to go. Whereabouts is it? Whereabouts in London is it? So it is just off Fleet Street. So it's kind of tucked down an alley and the, the building is kind of slightly rickety and kind of off to a, off to a kind of a strange little kilter. And um, it's just extremely authentic. So for anybody who, kind of loves the idea of, of kind of going somewhere you know historically significant then this is where you know this is where we'll be looking at so I know the site was formed as part of the 13th century Carmelite monastery and since 1538 a pub has actually stood in its place um there was uh, a bit of a disaster because in the great fire of London it did burn down but it was rebuilt in about 1667 and it has stood there ever since. Obviously, it has been done up in a few, you know, in a few ways, but they've tried to basically do it as far as tradition kind of allows in terms of safety and, and all that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's basically been one of the most well-known pubs in London in terms of prominent literary figures. So Samuel Johnson went there, Mark Twain, Yeats, Dickens. Um, Dickens even featured it in A Tale of Two Cities. So I think anybody who lives in London who doesn't know about it, they need to go find it. And anybody who's going to visit London, they need to, they need to take a little trip down memory, li uh, memory line, memory lane there. Fine. Uh, <laughs> do you know what I the, like it's one of those places that I'm sat I'm like how do I have I never heard of that obviously I'm not uh, a it's brilliant goer yeah they, they have a website so look it up because they do have photos on the website um it's it's just really really brilliant I mean some of the photos that it shows here it, for me it doesn't quite fully show the atmosphere um 
the entrance I've been in, I'm not sure if there's more than one entrance, but the one I've been through, it takes you into this very kind of tiny pub that has low ceiling and there's a fireplace that's actually working in there and a kind of, you know, little tables like tucked away in a corner. And this time of year, that's, ah, oh, the, yeah. the vibes are strong with this one. I yeah. approve heartily. <laughs> well, I can just imagine my people just tucking themselves into one of these little corners. Uh, I prefer if there weren't any other people there because pubs, especially when they're small, they can get very rowdy. You can't hear people. Look out the pub. Anything goes. The pub is yeah. exclusively for this. Well, we're definitely booking it out. And also they've got a great menu as well. And I, I love my food. I'm slightly obsessed with it. Same, but, you know, same. Yeah, got- that's, that's the first thing I'm going to look at when I go on yeah. the pub site is the menu. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Do it. But they've got your starters and your mains and your little bites and your, and your puddings um just hungry now <laughs> I always love seafood I'm a big seafood fan so they do kind of prawn and crab and smoked salmon cocktails and that would definitely be what I'm having um but right. they've, and they've got seafood linguine as well which is perfect Ooh. but okay so and, we're gonna have we're gonna eat we're gonna eat we're gonna get eat. the rain we're gonna get cozy by the fire yeah yeah but they've got loads of hearty, good, strong meals going on in there. So there's something for everybody. There's even the vegan and veg options. So mm-hmm. absolutely, go and have it. Wow, um, this sounds like a tourism board advertisement for you. I don't mean it to. I don't mean it to. But I just think in terms <laughs> of the... sold it. I'm going. <laughs> I, I just think in terms of atmosphere, it, it is something that's really perfect, especially on a cold, wet dreary day you just want to get warm like I said you, you want to go by the fire um they can drink whatever they want but I think I'll be pre- preferring red wine might not go with seafood, going for a nice but cider nice crisp yeah, yeah they do the ciders on tap it's, it's yeah. very good so anyway that's where we're going so it's the ye old Cheshire cheese okay I love I do this kind of wish I'm it- down with this <laughs> I, have to admit, I do kind of wish it had a different club title that, that it does sound <laughs> weird but honestly <laughs> yeah somebody look it up it's something quirky it's a very english especially because it's nowhere near cheshire (laughs) yeah so bizarre okay anyway we're getting cozy we're the first people there and we hold up by the fire who's Mm. walking in through the door well before i go any further i am going to say i'm not an actually massively sociable person so i think for me i would rather have these people there and i'll just sit back and listen and see what happens i'm definitely that kind of person just kind of let them loose in a room and basically say go and see what happens um there's not that there's not going to be that many people okay and it's a small pub though you don't want to over no no um and I might throw in uh, you know a couple of if, if they come to mind later but at the moment they're women okay um I know the first one I would actually quite love to see coming in is Mary Wollstonecraft so um basically she has she had such an interesting past and was lost way way too soon um she was the second of seven children and she they weren't poor they didn't have a kind of a poor upbringing but the father did have money troubles due to him basically squandering it um and as a consequence due to the stress he became a violent drunk and he basically abused mary's mother and there are records of mary kind of staying outside her mother's room to try and protect 
you know her fr from this father and it's quite traumatic and obviously a very very horrible thing but you know two of, you know the second of, se of seven kids she ends up being um a bit of a mother to them as well you know she, so she's a, a woman who grew up very very fast very very young now we're talking the Georgian period here so you know we we, we are looking at gosh that's terrible isn't it when was she born <laughs> but you know we're talking about you know you know 1700s here. yeah um, I mean yeah and it's a, so hard, it, a hard time to be a woman in any capacity let exactly. alone a young woman raising siblings yeah so I think she was forced into challenging the norms mm -hmm. um but she also did it willingly if, if if that makes sense but she basically kind of grew up in a society that didn't really want her to have a voice and for her to fight back and to have the opinions that that she did basically um she did write to her sister at uh, one period that she wanted to be the first of a new genus uh, sounds very wrong doesn't it you know this yeah. i want to be a, a power woman here um but she she was argumentative she was fiercely intelligent um, she was a fully modern woman for those times um, and she was a governess at one point as well she also had an affair with a married man and this is why I didn't know that did um, oh, it really? was uh, Henry Fuseli is it Fuseli is that how you say his name he was an artist but uh, I don't think she was the only married man she had an affair with either but this was all before that she, she met William Godwin. So Which I mean as wild. Mm. Absolutely wild. Because yeah. you know, she was young when she met him, wasn't she? Like she was, yeah. So we'd already had to grow up quite fast and she'd covered quite a few things. Uh lived some life. Yeah. 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 So her just that alone makes her extremely interesting. Mm. So and obviously, as a writer, she was very politically minded. She traveled extensively. Um, she wrote Vindication of the Rights of Man, uh, which upset quite a few people. And then obviously a few years later, which is the, the work that she's most famous for, is her a Vindication of the Rights of Women. Yes. But she also obviously was a travel writer. So think of everything that she had done in her short life. Um, it's no wonder really that she made quite a few attempts on her life. Uh, How old was she when she passed away? Oh God, this is something I should have prepped before, <laughs> shouldn't I? Um, but she, she, wasn't, she, she wasn't that old. Um, she was very young in terms of our modern sensibilities now, but- Oh, 38, which I mean is only six years mm. older than me, you know, mm. that's not, that's, I'm 37 in December, so ooh. yeah, it's it's I not you know I know it's of the time, but still you know it's still relatively young even. Yeah, I knew it's 30s. I just I, I just couldn't think the actual age, but yeah, it's she's still very young. But um, yeah, so she, so she made a few attempts on her life, partly because I think uh, she was in love with these men that she couldn't have, and it upset her greatly. And uh, there was there were stories of uh, somebody seeing her wanting to jump off she might have jumped off the bridge but she 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 did you know she, the suicide attempts we know it wasn't just a call for attention she was seriously going to do it and she was thwarted at each turn um 
but the fact that she the way that she died is obviously giving birth to Mary Shelley uh so it just she died. Just wonder what what would what you know what would their relationship have been if she'd survived what would Mary Shelley have been like it's well there we go this actually kind of brings me then into my next guest because the next guest would be Mary Shelley and I find it so interesting because from what I know of them they're actually very very similar mm. in the sense of both strong intellectual women they both traveled wildly Mary Shelley had an affair with Percy who was still married at the time and they used to meet as well at her mother's grave which I find yes. incredibly interesting I wonder what Mary would have said Mary one would have said about Mary two, Mary two. <laughs> yeah um yeah I mean so so obviously Mary Shelley was two weeks old by you know by the time her mother died so they never knew each other so Mary Shelley has grown up with this idea of her mother and also the knowledge that this was a very intelligent woman who was an author in her own right you're walking in a shadow of a woman that is intense as a as a young woman I mean your mother's Mm. that accomplished and you too you're always going to be compared yes exactly so you know it would have been it would just be so wonderful to see exactly how would these two women react to each other you know Mary Shelley being you know she was a political radical um as I said, she she slept with a married man. Um, I mean, and very ahead of her time. Very, very ahead of her time. Crazy. I have actually been, I was Googling, I was like, was it just Mary Shelley? I have actually been to Mary, you know, to her, because she's Mary very enormous, which is where I live. So I mm. have visited her her grave, which is, yeah. it is a really, it's a really strange, you know, feeling that, you yeah. know, to where Mary and Percy would have met and mm. been together. Yeah, it's it's an absolutely fascinating mother and daughter dynamic that's going on. And there are so many echoes of Mary, Mary two in Mary one. Um, yeah. yeah, it's honestly, you know, it's a bit like it is like mother, like daughter. You have to wonder if if, you know, her mother had survived, would they have clashed? Mm. Would they have supported each other? You know, what would the dynamics have been? So I see why when you said I would just want to sit back and watch because. Mm. You couldn't possibly converse when these two absolutely women were meeting. Not. No, absolutely not. I mean, but that's a very interesting point that you make about, you know, would they have contributed? Would they have had any sort of kind of working relationship there? Or would they have clashed? Now, considering Mary Shelley, she contributed a lot to Percy's work, whether that was, and this is still kind of a bit controversial. Um, I I have a very excellent um, academic friend Anna Mercer um, who has studied extensively um, Mary's contribution to Percy's work and um, we have the idea that actually some of the lines that she wrote you know or well, some of the lines that Percy wrote were actually potentially Mary's oh. um, but whether or not that is 100% true she certainly collaborated with him. They definitely had a meeting of minds there. And then, of course, you know, we can't mention any of that without bringing up the whole um, trip where Mary wrote Frankenstein. So there she is with, you know, Byron and Shelley and Polidori. And they've they, they all just kind of got together in this. And so gothic. young. She was so young. So young. Um, 
you know that's a lot of genius to live up to um but she made damn sure that she, she did it into you know at least with you know with Frankenstein and the other works that she that she did as well she was absolutely a force to be reckoned with and I just find like I said these two women as authors and political activists and um women who did not shy away from being forward thinking and living their best life, I suppose, in a way, if, we, if, we, if, we, yeah. if we're gonna say it. I yeah. mean, we can't quite say in that point considering the way they both ended, but it's, yeah, they, they were very much not women of their time. They really blazed a trail, you know, it might've been a short trail, but they blazed a trail. Yeah. still being spoken of now. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I think if we, you know, if we if we have to talk about Frankenstein here in the sense that you know she has created such an influ- influential piece of literature that for the Gothic authors, you know, this is something we're always going to go back to. It's an absolute classic in terms of you know the Gothic tropes themselves and the fact that obviously there's this you know there's this this doctor who has created a monster from, you know, gruesome body parts. I mean, that in itself is, that's rather mind-bending for a woman of that age to write. But obviously, you know, the themes of creation and God and so many, so many massive topics that, you know, we as writers still draw on today. It's such a brilliant masterpiece. I always of think as well, you know, I look at, you know, Halloween has just been and gone mm. and the number of children out there who will dress like Frankenstein, yeah. you know, even that reference. And then they themselves will wonder where that's come from. Mm. Be it through the old films, be it through, you know, know. it's just my, you know, same with Bram Stoker. When you see these characters that are so timeless and ageist that they're being used from little kids dressing up right through to adults who are still studying. Yeah. That's an incredible legacy. Exactly, exactly. Oh. I mean, my my guests are a bit of a mix that they know we've got real authors and then we have characters. Okay. So the character I want to bring in, and I'm so sorry to be cliche, but it is Jane Eyre. But I think there are so many parallels there as well between Jane and the two Marys. Oh so my goodness, we completely. Have, so the fact that Jane Eyre is in many ways considered a gothic heroine. That's something that we need to, we need to look at. But we have the parallel of Mary Wollstonecraft and the fact that she had an abusive childhood. She had a very unhappy childhood. And then we have Jane Eyre, of course, who was somebody who had to become a strong, independent woman. And she was intelligent and she had her own mind and she thwarted the you know, the, the modes of the, of the time, of the period, there's, you know, did, she, you know, did, did Bronte think of Mary Shelley and Mary Wollstonecraft by, you know, That's writing? A very Jane good Eyre? question, isn't it? Is there any parallel, direct parallel there? You know, is, is that, is Jane Eyre a construct? of these two women at any point. I mean, we have to consider as well that Jane Eyre, she was a governess, Mary Wollstonecraft was a governess. Um, 
and then obviously Thornfield Hall we've you know we've got this rambling gothic mansion with a monster essentially in the attic and then we have the monster of Rochester as well we have these parallels going on and it would just be like what would happen if Jane Eyre was sitting in the old Cheshire Cheese pub in the corner with Mary Wollstonecraft on one side and Mary Shelley on the other. And what would they say to each other? Would Jane Eyre be saying, wait a minute, am I, am I you guys? Or yeah, would... the conversations would be so interesting. Mm. Yeah, so it's, I, there are three very interesting women in their similarities. But there's, the, the thing about Jane Eyre though, is that while we have those parallels of the abusive, neglected childhood, um, the governess, the love affair with the married man. Yes, yes. Um, which we'll get back to in a second. But, you know, we have the equality of women as well, you know, in the sense of Jane, you know, she, she wants to be seen and heard for who she is. And she has the same strength and passion as a man. She, you know, that, that's one of the things that she's always fought for throughout this whole novel. But Jane Eyre does have morals. Mm. So, you know, Jane is certainly not going to start sleeping with Rochester. She might love him to death, but uh, she's not going to do a, a Mary one or a Mary two and, uh, yes. and go off with him, is she? So, again, what would they say? There's some debate there. Yeah, you know, so we have the similarities, but we also have this moral difference as well. And it's a big moral difference. It's it is. a big thing, you know. Yeah. It's very, Absolutely. you can imagine them all coming in with their cloaks, coming out of the rain. Mm. Oh, yeah. Really atmospheric. I think it is, yeah. Like, you know, it, just, you know, the candles and, and the, the cloaks steaming, you know, as they, as they dry off. You would just, you would literally just have to sit and watch. It would. I would absolutely have to do that. Um. Now, those basically were the main three I came thinking about. But I, I have been trying to think, would, would I add anybody in? Um, whoever the thing is, whoever you invited the, that trio, they've got to add something to that. That's the hard thing. You don't want to just invite someone along because that's an intense meeting of minds. It is an intense thing. I'm partly kind of tempted to throw somebody completely left wing in there in the sense of um I, I, I don't know why Caroline Bingley popped into my head for some random reason um because can you can you hear the judgment <laughs> the judgment that would oh, be, she'd be scandalized can you imagine oh, gosh you can now, just you hear... making that decision just to kind of set the cat amongst the pigeons and see what happens a little bit, but like I said, this isn't. This is something I've thought about earlier. I, I haven't just thrown that now into left field. Yeah. But I always knew it was going to be the two Marys and Jane. But the, Jane, yeah, Jane. Um, but yeah, I just thought who who would be very interesting just to kind of mix, mix this up a bit. Could who they would they win her over as well? Could it be that Caroline Bingley joins the conversation and by the end of it is completely on board? You never know, do you? I think Caroline. Was... away from men away from mm. I would love books. I would love to have seen a bit more of Caroline Bingley um she's oh she I feel sorry for her in a way 
all the things that she wanted she knows she was thwarted by men yeah yeah but perhaps you know it's always interesting perhaps if she's out of the company of men you know she's just surrounded by these very intelligent opinionated women I mean perhaps it would just be an utter disaster and they would just debate all night and she would not be swayed but perhaps he'd win her over it it, it is honestly a fly on the wall situation just let let, just let them go at it and and see what happens I think that would be amazing oh wouldn't it yeah and the question I ask everybody is there anybody that you wouldn't want to show up see I've been thinking about that as well and I'm really sorry to say that I actually genuinely can't think of any there's got to be some that you just would not want to get in but I suppose <laughs> I suppose I wouldn't want um a man coming in and telling them what they're doing wrong or what they sh- mm. you know or what they should be doing um I think these are three perhaps even four women who I think I think without the case they'd swiftly be sent on their way I don't think mm. brook much of that no I don't think so either but you know there's always one that tries to ruin it for the rest um <laughs> there, there is it's somebody who's gone into the twitter um the twitter thread or slid into the dms <laughs> and uh and, and try to just make a little good. bit brave a little bit brave with what they're saying <laughs> yeah. yeah we've we've all been there haven't we mm. yes yes I completely agree with that and honestly I love your reasoning for these women and actually it it makes me feel a bit kind of the thought of the two Marys meeting each other when they couldn't in life and yeah it gives me goosebumps I love it yeah it does yeah such a shame there's so so many I know it's so so many opportunities lost of how it would have what would have been like what would their lives have been like yeah it's just, I love it. I think actually you've had one of the most like deep evenings. Oh, okay. That we've had. It's it's very well thought out. So I, <laughs> I really enjoyed. And before I let you go and mm-hmm. uh, chill out on your on your Monday evening, I ask everybody if they're reading anything at the moment. I guess sure. you, you've been pretty busy, but. <laughs> I have, I have. Um, I have actually been saving um, a whole pile of proofs. Um, so as I'm sure many, many of the listeners will know, as authors, we are sent books, um, before they're, they are published, um, in the hope that we'll endorse, uh, you know, just, just comment, just, just try and share how we feel about them, preferably positive. Um, but honestly, I, for, for months, I have basically said, I can't, I can't have any proofs. I can't have them. Um, and it's not because I don't want them. It's just because... I have been so headbound to to yeah. the second novel. Those I didn't have the time, and it wouldn't be fair to say yes when I knew I couldn't follow through. And essentially, what I'm just getting is a free book. But I did put a note up last month on Twitter saying I'm going to be done in November. Send me stuff so I have it to read. And so I do have a look. I'm looking at them now. A look. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Like there's twelve proofs oh. over there. And I know I've got three in the post. And after that, I'm going to go like, no, we're done. But um, they all look incredibly compelling. I have to admit, I tend to accept historicals. So because I know what I'm I'm doing with that. It's not that I I won't read other genres, um, but I know 
that I'm more likely to get invested in a historical novel and especially if it's set in the Georgian period which I'm so thankful is finally getting a bit of a resurgence it is um, thanks Bridgerton but <laughs> you know it's, it's so true yes no I know but yeah, I am extremely excited. There is also one on the list that seems to be a have a connection to Mary Shelley. So uh, it's probably going top of the list. Oh, it should but not. It, yeah. <laughs> so I, I have a lot um, to be reading, but I've not yet made a start because I'm still only two days out of, of, of book pain. I think so, we need um, a big glass of wine. <laughs> yeah that that happened that happened Saturday night I'm on the hot chocolate at the moment bro. but uh yeah anyway Perfect. well thank you so much this has been an absolute pleasure I've had a, a fabulous thank, time. thank you Danny thank you so much for having me I've, I've really enjoyed this